picture, you know, you've got all the men enchained on one side of the town. And all the women in chains on the other. You see, when you're conquered, uh, the guy conquering you doesn't really care about you and your family. First thing every conquering person did was come through and divide them up. What are the men slaves going to be doing? What are the women slaves going to be doing? What are the children going to be doing? The families were tore apart. Maybe once in a while, now and again, some got to be together. But for the most part, they didn't get to be together. They went enslaved to Babylon to be assimilated into the culture. But they all went with a letter from God. Every one of them that went. I, I don't know what they were feeling. I... If you're a mom or a dad, I'm sure you can imagine the panic on their minds. What's going to happen to my kids? As those lines of, of slaves are preparing to go out, the Lord inspired his prophet to write. And so he wrote and he laid this out and he, he read it in their hearing and he gave it for them as they went and perhaps had they had refrigerators well, they would have put them on them too. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel to all who are carried away captive that I have cause to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for them. For in its peace you will have peace. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you. And I will perform my good word towards you. And cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations 
and from all the places I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have carried you away. Seventy years earlier, Jeremiah 29 was spoken to and handed to the ones that went. First Chronicles chapter 12, Ezra, who's bringing now those who were children and who are now old men back into the land, along with their kids and their families, and he's trying to make sure that history doesn't repeat itself. And he's telling them the stories. And he's laying out for them the history of how the people got in trouble and, and paths to steer clear from and how to walk and follow the Lord. He lays out what we got before us tonight in, in chapter 12. You remember in chapter 11 we were talking about the mighty men of David. And I, and I strove to remind you last week that those those mighty men were the outcasts, the dregs, the people nobody wanted. They, they couldn't get a job in Saul's army. They were losers, every one of them. You go read 1 Samuel, tell me what it says. Who came to David? The best of the best? Is that what the word says? The very best of the land came to David? It says, everyone who was disenchanted, everyone who hated their lives, everyone who was uh, owed a ton of money and couldn't pay, the people who were thrown out, cast down, down in the bottom, down in the dregs, the one nobody wanted. First Chronicles chapter 11 tells you the story of those men. They became known as the mighty men of David. Why? Well, they came to David... And they hung out with David, and so they became like David. It has been said that a man becomes like the God he serves. That's true. I think part of the reason often a lot of churches can be selfish and uncaring about the, the way things are going on around them is because that's the God they serve. I wouldn't say that's the God of the Bible. I just would say that's the God they serve. Are you with me? The Ten Commandments, we're told not to make any graven image, right? Are we supposed to make God in an image we can understand, that we can look at, that we could cut out of wood, or that we can, I don't know, divide with our own thoughts? I mean, we've all got God totally figured out, right? Every aspect of His deity... Just the simple concept. You just focus on one aspect of his deity. But figure out the love of God. Figure it out. Well, they just wrapped a rope around my wrist and pulled my shoulder out of socket to drive a nail in to fix me to wood as they were cursing and spitting and yelling at me. And I say, Father, forgive them. Oh. Sure, that's what's in your heart, right? Every time you grab a hammer and you're building something and you hit your thumb, that's what you think, right? The thoughts coming out of your mind immediately and when that pain is inflicted is, Father, forgive them? Oh, but it can be. It can be. Why? Because you become like the God you serve. 
You become like him. Those 600 came to David and they saw David. David who was the warrior poet to end all warrior poets who could weep with the best of them and turn around and wipe out an entire garrison of Philistines by himself. And those men, they were transformed. So Paul would write in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We want that renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? What's the practicality of that? Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. That little phrase, let this mind, means you can choose. Doesn't it? You can not let it, or you can let it. You become like the God you serve. I spent a lot of time serving the God of me. I'm not going to say I didn't come to church, and I didn't sing the songs, and I didn't do the things that we do, but that I wasn't serving that God. I was serving a different God. One made in my own image, who had my own views, who had my own political ideals, who had all those concepts that were in line with me, because we all know that the God we serve aligns himself perfectly with those issues, right? That's the God of the Philistines. That was the God of the Canaanites. That was all those gods. They did those things. The destitute came to David. They hung out with David. They saw God in David, and they became his mighty men. The chronicler tells us the story of the mighty men so that we would know the transformative power of God. Is that important? If you're coming out of Babylon, your whole life was stripped from you. You went there as a little child. Your mom and dad died. Maybe you never saw them again. Maybe you did. I don't know. Look, there. Do we have we ever heard of that? Do you know that there were families that went into the Holocaust? Brothers or sisters who were separated during the Holocaust never saw each other until they were in their 90s? Some of them who didn't live all that far apart from each other, but they didn't know each other existed because that's the people that were coming out of Babylon. How important is it for them to know the transformative power of God? So the chronicler tells them. The chronicler tells him, and then he's beginning to talk to him about David. And first he talks about the mighty men who came to David, and then he's going to build on that concept. Because as people began to realize the hope that they had wasn't in Saul, the king, and they started to realize their hope was in David, what did they begin to do? They began to leave, first little by little, then in great droves, and they would come to David. And in chapter 12, that's what they did. They came to David. And David, with the heart of the son of David, what did he do? You should have picked my side in the beginning, right? That's what he did, right? No. Look, it says in chapter 12, verse 1, Now these were the men who came to David at Ziglag, while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war. They were armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left. 
in hurling stones and shooting arrows. Now, I don't know how many archers we may have in here. I doubt we have very many sling throwers. It's like, you want to see a hilarious thing. You watch somebody try to use one of them slings. Anybody ever thrown them slings before? The spinny ones? How'd it go? Yeah, not so good. Pastor Gerald wanted me to film him. We're in the Valley of Elah, where David killed Goliath. And he's got one of them slings and a stone. And, and everybody else was smart and left. But I was thinking the whole time, where am I going to go? He's swinging that thing around in a circle. There's no guarantee it's going to go forward, backward, sideways. Who knows where that thing's going to go? And Gerald's like, film me. I'm going to sling this stone. So he just gets that thing a whirling, and he lets it go. And that rock just fell straight down to the ground. Yeah, he didn't know what he was doing. So I don't think he was ambidextrous with the sling. And I, I do shoot a bow, and I'm not about to flip it over and shoot it the other hand. I'm fine shooting right-handed. These guys who came to David, they could do it with both hands. Sling stones, shoot arrows, shoot arrow with the right, shoot arrow with the left, back and forth. They had all kind of ability and talent for making war. And what's it say? They were of Benjamin. What's the next line? Saul's brethren. They were coming to David in Ziglag. Ziglag is a place David was right before Saul dies. It's in Philistine country. They came to him, the brethren of Saul. The chief was Ahizer, then Joash, the son of Shemaiah, the, the Gibbethite. Jezeel, Pellet, the sons of Azamaveth. Barakon, Jehu, and I'll let you read the rest of the names. But here's the point. They were Gibeathites. You think to yourself, well, what's the point about that? Do you know where Saul was born? Well, Gibeah. This is, this is not just anybody. These are people from Saul's hometown. They're coming to David. Because they realize there's no hope in Saul. Folks, as we look at chapter 12, chapter 12 becomes such an incredible picture of the world. Look, if you haven't spent enough time with Saul yet, and you don't know that Saul does not satisfy, and that Saul's not going the same direction you want to go, then you're going to join forces with Saul, and you're going to try to accomplish all the things you can with Saul. But at some point, you're with Saul, you become disenchanted with the ability of the world to do the things it does, and you look at David and you think, wow. You begin to see in him the character that you would like to see in you, but, but that character's not there. Why? Because you become like the God you serve. You're hanging out with Saul. You become like Saul. You're a spear chucker. You get mad at people, you throw spears at them. Right? Defend your rights. Defend all the way down to the end. But little by little, you begin to leave Saul. Little by little, you begin to go to David. David, that picture of Christ for us, the one through whom we have life. In verse 8 it says, some Gadites joined David. Gadites, members of the tribe of, of Gad. They joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. Now, we don't know which stronghold this was. Most people assume this is En Gedi. So now David's in En Gedi. Here come the Gadites. The Gadites are coming to him. They're gathering to him. 
what to say about them. They were mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle the shield and the spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and who were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. So they were fearful to look at in battle, and they were fast. You ever chase a gazelle on the mountain? Yeah, they're quick. Much quicker than us. So, these guys were fierce warriors. But look, they're not the mighty men. Oh, these are guys who came to David. Who were the mighty men? They were the ones who come at the beginning. They were the ones who left and went early. But these guys, they're, they're gifted and talented, and they're there. And then it lists all their names out there in the next several verses. In verse 16, it says, Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. You see more tribes joining, right? Little by little, people are coming to them. But this group David wasn't sure about. Listen, David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, If you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Oh man, I love that about David. He didn't defend himself. Who was his defense? The Lord is my defense. Wise man told me a long time ago, Said, Jackie, if you take up the banner of self to defend yourself, defending yourself is all you're going to do. So, I'm not going to waste my time doing it. Uh, God can be my defense. Well, if I've got to apologize for something, I can apologize. I can make amends. I can ask forgiveness or give forgiveness where it's necessary. But I'm not going to waste my time defending. David didn't waste his time defending himself. He said, God's the defense. He said, may the Lord judge between us. He fought these guys. He'd done battle with some of them. Now they're coming to him. They've left Saul, and they're coming to him. He don't know if they're for him or against him. But there's an interesting name here that I want you to look at, because it comes out here in the very next verse. It says in verse 18, Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains. A lot of people think that's Amasa. Amasa becomes a general of an army that goes against David later on, uh, when Absalom rises up in rebellion against David. They think this may be the same guy. It's possible for sure. This guy comes and he, he's there and he's standing before him. And look what it says. The Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains. Well, that should be a familiar phrase because all over in the New Testament you can read that. And the Holy Spirit came upon. You know the difference in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit came upon Amasai and he left Amasai. Holy Spirit comes upon you, He stays. That good news? Look what He does. He says, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. You ever said those words to God? I am yours. 
I am on your side. Kind of an important thing, I think. I am yours. Peace to you and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. And David received them and made captains of the troop. Man. Spirit came upon him and they made a commitment. We're yours. We're yours. I hope that's our commitment with the Lord. I hope that's our attitude every morning. I hope that's the things we're able to work through. Because if you're struggling in areas in a relationship with God, you're struggling with resentment toward Him. Which is not all that uncommon. Because we have created a God in our own image and we can't understand why God would allow events in our life. And so we build up resentment against God. And that resentment drives us away from Him. And we've got to come to terms with the resentment. We've got to come to terms with that attitude that works in our heart and life. Why would God allow? And you have to come to the realization that you don't get all those answers. Joshua, on the eve of battle, he's walking around you ever had one of them long nights where you're kind of freaked out about what's going to happen in the next couple of days you can't sleep maybe you walk around that's what joshua was doing he's walking around he just happens to be walking outside the camp and it's dark and i'm sure he's walking outside the torchlight at least i would be because i'd like to get out there in the dark where i can see the stars and you know contemplate what's about to happen and he comes across a figure. The Bible calls him the captain of the Lord's army. So something in Joshua's ability to see this guy, he knew this is the captain of the Lord's army. So he couldn't have looked like anybody else he'd ever seen, could he? I don't know. I don't know how he was dressed. I don't know. But whatever he looked like, it was the captain of the Lord's army. You remember Joshua's question? He said, are you for us or for them? Do you remember God's answer? No. Does that exactly answer the question? Nope. What's the problem? You are asking the wrong question. Joshua, I have a job for you. Will you be my champion? That's his question. Will you be... The man for the hour. Will you respond? Even if all the answers aren't there. We are yours. Story of Ruth. You remember the story of Ruth? <coughs> Naomi was her mother-in-law. You remember? And Naomi was, was going back home and she kept telling the other girls, leave, leave, don't follow me, I don't have no hope for you, I can't help you out. You remember, right? And eventually all, all the other daughter-in-laws leave, there's three of them all together, they leave, but one doesn't leave. What's her name? Ruth, that's the name of the book. Ruth keeps following her, what does she say? Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. She says, you and me till the wheels fall off. What a great declaration to make toward the Lord, isn't it? 
Don't we sing songs like that? Where you go, I'll go. That attitude. I think when we come face to face with a holy, just, right, pure, almighty, loving God, we lose a lot of those questions about the wise. Why this? Why that? Why this? Unless God tells me, I won't. Be careful. Be careful. They came to David and they pledged their loyalty. Ruth came to Naomi and she pledged her loyalty. Do we come to the Lord in that same attitude and pledge our loyalty? Whatever you have for me, whatever you want for me, Lord, I'm here, I'm yours. Little by little, the people are coming. When I look at chapter 12 and I look at our world and I see the, the Saul as a picture of the world system and I see David as a picture of the Lord system and little by little, little by little, people start to come to be drawn to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But eventually David becomes king. The ones who could come to him before that day, they, they were the ones you're reading. Because <laughs> after chapter 12, he's king. Then they're there. Your choice is done. He's a king. You could have come before. You could have been in that place. You could have made those choices. Look, it says, Some of Manasseh defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul. That's the battle Saul died in. But they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreement, saying he may defect to Saul and endanger our heads. So when he went to Ziglag, those of Manasseh who defected to him were Adna, Zodabab, uh, Jedael, Michael, Josabad, Elihu, and Zilathai, captains of the thousands who were from Manasseh. And they helped David against the bands of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor, and they were captains in that army for in that day they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of the Lord after verse 22 Saul dies there's your timeline verse 23 David is king in Hebron and now here are the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and they came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And it goes through and it lists out tribe by tribe by tribe. How many warriors, how they were all mighty men of valor, how well they could fight, how good they could do battle. But they were all coming to David because David is king. That's going to happen. One day Jesus Christ is going to return. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. The day after the battle of Armageddon, there's not going to be any rebellion against him. What's everyone going to do? They're going to come. He's a king. What did the Bible say? Every knee will do what? Every tongue will? With Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Entering into the kingdom, that's going to take place. 
The day of salvation is before Revelation 19. The day of salvation is before he becomes king. I don't know, I just see this shadowy picture in chapter 12. It says in verse 38, All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. So here the, the, the writer of the Chronicles is telling them the, re- the reason, the purpose I'm telling you this. We all came together around David. We all found strength around David. David is a type for you and I of Christ. David's going to show us that picture as we go on. What's the Bible call him? A man after God's own heart. Having that attitude that God wants us to have as well. It says, And they were there with David three days, eating and drinking for their brethren had prepared for them. So there's this great feast. David's king, a great feast takes place. People come to him and pronounce the fact that they are loyal to him. Moreover, those who are near to them, from as far away as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, were bringing food on donkeys and camels or mules and oxen, provision of flour, cakes of figs, cakes of raisins, wine, oil and oxen and sheep abundantly. And there was joy in Israel. So, the chronicler is saying, look, we're all coming down from Babylon. Maybe heads are hung a little low. You remember the kind of the picture of what the temple used to look like. And then you come up over the crest where you can look down from the Mount of Olives down onto Jerusalem and all you see is waste. And Ezra says, When we all came around David as king, there was joy. David was God's man. The transformative power of God to take your life from where it is right now and to put it to the place where you could see God moving in great power in the people is just a moment away. We just come together. Come together and hear. But then Ezra, he tells them, not only do we need to come together, not only do we need to surround and ultimately, I think, make the Lord central about everything that we do, and whoever God's man is, that's the guy we're going to follow. Not only all those things, but you've got to do it God's way. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is death. God's way. That's chapter 13. It's all about God's way. Look at it. Then. See that word then? Chapter 13, first word, then. David. You could put this word there to get the idea. Later, David. It's not necessarily giving us a direct chronology of the things that took place. But he's telling us a history. He's giving us specific points to encourage the people who are coming back into the land. So he's saying that later David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and every leader. All these mighty men that he just had around him, he just made his first mistake. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and every leader. 
It does not say that David consulted with the Lord. He's got such a good plan, though. Look at it. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in the cities and all the common lands that they may gather together to us, and let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Wow. So, from the early time in Saul's reign, until the time David became king, that means no Passover, no feasts, no worship, at least not God's way. You might remember they had lost the ark. You remember, right? They, they took the ark into battle. God didn't say take the ark into battle, but they apparently had seen raiders of the lost ark, and they heard that if you take the ark out, rays shoot out of it and wipe everybody out. So they took it. And they lost it. And the ark was gone. And you remember the story tells us when it was with the Philistines, what happened? It, it, it messed up the Philistines. It, it messed up. You can do some research on it, but they got really bad hemorrhoids. Yes, that's in the Bible. That their god, Dagon, continued to fall on his face until he broke. And they decided, well, okay, it's probably not really the ark that's doing all this. Maybe we're just having a patch of bad luck. So we'll take two calves that have not been weaned. And we'll put the ark on them. And we'll see where it goes. And it went to the land of, the, of Beth Shemesh, back into the land of Israel. Shouldn't have done that. They should have went back to the mama. But they didn't. When it came to Beth Shemesh, it was in Israel's hands again. And the guys from Beth Shemesh, they said, Man, the ark, here's the ark. Well, this is so cool. The ark is here. Let's open it. They hadn't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. So they reached over and opened it. Now the Philistines opened it. Nothing happened to them. The men of Beth Shemesh opened the ark, and like this, they died. All of them. Thousands. Why? The ark is really made up of two pieces of furniture. The ark is the box. What goes on top? The mercy seat. What did they take off? What's left? Judgment. They took off mercy, and judgment came. Boom. Well, why, why did judgment come to them and not the Philistines? God held the men of Beth Shemesh accountable for what the word said. Maybe they never read it, but that wasn't God's problem. He gave it to them. Didn't he? They should know. Wow. Then after Beth Shemesh, you, you come to this story of David, and David saying, hey, we need to go get the ark back. And there's probably some people who said, I don't know if we really want that. 
I don't know. But David, he, he, he counseled with all his wise men, right? All his mighty men. Everybody was on his side. All the people around him, all the people around them. Yes, let's go get the ark. Let's go get it and bring it back. So then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in, I, in the eyes of all the people. You see that? The thing was right in the eyes of all the people. The thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Who cares? Is it right in the eyes of God? Is it possible to do the right thing the wrong way? So David gathered all of Israel together from Sihor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David and all of Israel went up to Baalah, to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. Wow. You understand what that means? One day a year. The high priest would take the next high priest that was coming on. And they would enter in only with blood on the day of Yom Kippur to, to, to receive forgiveness for the sins of all the people. And there between the cherubim, one cherubim on one side of the ark, one cherubim on the other side, they would meet in the middle. And there they would say, God's name. You know we don't know it now, right? You say whatever you want. It's Jehovah. Well, there's no J in Hebrew. That's going to be a problem. Could be Yehovah. Could be Yahweh. We don't know. How do you pronounce Y-H-W-H? One day a year, the priests would proclaim the name. And the next high priest that was coming on would hear the name. But the name's gone. God would meet him between the cherubim. Have you ever thought about that picture? Go way back to Genesis. In the Genesis it says that after an enemy fell, they were taken outside of the garden. Right? And what was, it the, what was to guard the gate of the garden? cherubim and the next thing you read is the story about Cain and Abel and them bringing sacrifices who taught them where did they learn to do sacrifices well, before you say their mom and dad where did they learn to do sacrifices the closest thing we can figure is, is that the, the day that the Lord found them it says he made them coverings from skins of animals. I would be okay with the idea that he made them sheepskin. And he taught them that from sin, sacrifice of blood must be made. Where would they make that sacrifice? Meet me at the gate that used to lead into Eden between the cherubim. I'll meet you there. And so, when Cain and Abel brought the sacrifice to the Lord, it's what the Bible says, right? Cain and Abel brought the sacrifice to the Lord. Where? They didn't have a temple. Where did he bring them? Between the cherubim, at the gate of Eden. And they met there. 
And when the Lord later on had him develop the plans for the ark, where did he have him do? Two cherubim. I'll meet you in the middle. I'll meet you between the cherubim. Do you know that when the priest would come in there to pray, that the Shekinah of God was there? His kabod. Those two words mean the, the glory and the light. The weight. Man, that's like words not usually used to describe a being. But that's how they would describe what was there between the cherubim. But they hadn't done this the whole time Saul was king. David's excited. He's going to go get him. He's going to bring him back. So it says they carried the ark of God on a new cart. Well, that makes good sense, right? Let's not use an old cart. We know that when we're supposed to do things for God, it's got to be, it's got to be our best. So we're going to get a new cart, and we'll build a new cart, and we'll put it on the cart, and we'll bring it into town. It's a perfect plan. Had all the wisdom of man all around it. And David and all of Israel played music before God with all their might. With singing on harps and stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals and trumpets. Man, they, they were just praising God. Can you picture this? Because it's important that you do. They're praising God. David is dancing with all his might. They're just glorifying the Lord. And then they come to the threshing floor. They came to Chidon's threshing floor. And Uzzah, his name means strong, put out his hand to hold the ark. Because the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord aroused against Uzzah. And he struck him because he put his hand to the ark and he died there before God. Wow. God held Uzzah accountable to know what his word said. His word said, don't you ever touch it. Don't you ever open it. Because contained in that box is all the failure of your people. And covering all the failure of your people is my mercy. And don't ever forget it. Don't touch it. It is holy. God takes his forgiveness pretty seriously, wouldn't you say? Uzzah reached over and just tried to steady it. He didn't know. Maybe a sin of ignorance, but God held him accountable. And he died. Where did Uzzah spend eternity? Does the Bible tell us? So don't assume Uzzah went to hell. Well, I shared with you before, nobody's there yet anyway, but don't assume. It is appointed unto man what? Wants to die. Everybody's got a day. Was Uzzah's. Didn't say nothing about his end, the end. Did he believe? Did he have faith? Did he trust God? It just said he failed, he messed up, he died. That's it. But what happened next? David became angry. And he called the place Perez Uzzah. Why? Because the Lord's outbreak again. God, how could you do such a thing? How could you allow such a thing? 
How could I come through all of this stuff in life and I get all the way to the end and everything looks so good and bam, the doctors tell me I have cancer. How could you let me raise my child until he came of age and, and watch them grow and become strong and just take them away from me in an instant? How could you let that fire in the middle of the night take my aunt away? David was mad. And he didn't know what to do. Scripture says, he was angry and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah. It means ultimately the the division or the breaking of Uzzah. The place where God broke him, where God killed him. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I do what you want me to do? You ever feel that way? How am I supposed to do what you want me to do? I tried to do what you want me to do, and look what happened. Everybody agreed that we should go. Everybody was with me. Everybody was coming. Everybody but God. Once upon a time, David, as a young man, said all he needed was the Lord's presence with him to go against the armies of the enemy. But now... David thought, all I need is all these people around me and we can do anything. That's a lie of the American dream. I'll just pull myself up by my bootstraps. Something can be the right thing to do and the wrong way to do it. Is God in it? Does God want it? And if so, how God wants it is very important, isn't it? Verse 13. So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David. But he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. How do you think Obed-Edom felt about that? Let's see. Uzzah touched it. He died. A bunch of men at Beth Shemesh, they all died when they opened it. The Philistines, for some reason, put it on these two cows and they walked out here. Couldn't have been good for the Philistines either. Yeah, bring it in. I'll store it. The ideas behind how these guys must have felt how they looked at it, what they thought of it. But look what the Word of God says. It says, The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in the house for three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. I love that verse. Because it says, If you let God be the center of your family then he'll bless you. If you let God be the center of your life, 
If you let God be the reason you do what you do and you are who you are, he'll bless. that's what the whole point of the story is. They want to bring God's presence in and they want to be able to have their feasts and they want to be able to do their sacrifices. But they don't talk to God nor read his word nor consider how God would want them to do that. There were specific priests given specific job of carrying it, weren't there? But they just come up with their best idea and they go and do it and they drag it. But then when they leave it at Obed-Edom's house for three months, 90 days, nothing but blessing. I wonder if David would, you know, send a messenger every once in a while. Go check on Obed-Edom. I want to make sure everybody's alive down there. You know, the ark is at his place. And the messenger come back and say, man, he said things are going great. The presence of God is in the midst of his family. Maybe David sent a messenger every couple of weeks. It had to start to bother him. Now, why is that happening? Look, God wants to be central. But God wants you to do it his way, not yours. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And despitefully use you. You ever chew on that? He said, if you have a cloak and someone asks you for it, give it to them. Kind of amazing concept, isn't it? In our world today? I just think... What happens if we say we're going to live by the book? Just what it says. Doesn't the word of God say give and it will be given unto you? You think it means it? I don't know. What are all the things that God's word says that we 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 aren't applying and we say well, I can't do that. What'll happen? Has anyone ever asked you for forgiveness and you withheld it? Or is there someone that you know needs to hear that from you? What did Jesus say? Forgive. Period. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. Wow. So often, we... We read the stories of the book and we know the stories of the book and we, we've got a pretty good concept of the lessons of the book. 
But we failure we we fail to make application. And we think things like, David, what a knucklehead. I'd why didn't he read? Man. Husbands love your wives. Period. Wives, submit to your husbands. Period. Now we'll, we'll define all those things some way that fits with our concept. Hey, as long as it fits with the word, I'm all right with that. Does it? David said, we're going to move the cart. We're going to bring the ark into town. He will. Three chapters from now. He'll bring it in. And he'll do it God's way. Wow, what a glorious day that is, huh? (laughs) Question is, what ark do we see? God, I think God wants me to do this to be that say this that do this that do it God's way become a man or woman of the book I read a story today and uh, I don't know if how I feel about it all it was one of the many things that are going around the church right now about why are kids leaving the church you guys ever seen stuff like that 20-year-olds are leaving. They don't come back. They blame it on all kind of things. School, the way the parents raised them, a lot of, a lot of other things. And people say, well, you know, what we need to do to get the kids back is to change some of these hard-line concepts in the church. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Here's what I think. We need to as a body of believers stop worrying about everybody else and say am I reflecting the grace the love the beauty of Christ in my life and people will be drawn to that what do you mean oh it's this little thing that Jesus said that keeps ringing in my ears they will know you are my disciple because of how you love each other wow and if you want that definition of love 1 Corinthians 13 right be men and women of the book you want your kids back? Be men and women of the book. You want your community back? Be men and women of the book. You want your nation back? Be men and women of the book. Nation gets the king they deserve. Be men and women of the book. 
You want to see kids flock to church? Let them see the power of God moving in reality. Let them see the transformative power of God in your life. Let them see mom and dad actually doing the things the Bible says. And watch. There's a right way to do the things God calls us to do. We start. He is always, what did he say? You will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. If he had just said, you'll find me when you seek me, it would been so much easier, wouldn't it? He said, with the whole heart. Let's go find him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you tonight. Lord Jesus, we want to have your spirit moving and working in our life. God, we want to change our attitudes. I want to see your power really. I want to see it happening in my life, God. I want my children to see Dad loving the people on the street the way you would love them in your word. Because they long for a cause to believe in. They don't want just another political thing or they'll throw themselves into something. But wow, a life just utterly given and committed and totally surrendered. Oh, it's just not possible, we might say. Elijah was a man like you. And he prayed, and it stopped raining. Three and a half years, he prayed, and the rain came. He was weak. He wanted to quit. He struggled. God, we want to be men and women who seek you with all our heart. We want to be like David. We want to become your mighty men and women, the people who follow you, who become like you, who love like you love, who have the judgment that you have. Nobody ever tricked you. Nobody ever ripped you off unless you wanted to allow it, Lord God. Nobody came to you and told you a story that you didn't know about. You were never afraid. You never withheld love. You never withheld the ability to tell someone what they needed to hear. And you always did it with your Father's words. In the power of the Holy Spirit. So that you could tell us, these things you've seen me do, you can do also. God, some of us are coming out of captivity. We've been in bondage. We've been in bondage to drugs. Been in bondage to alcohol. Been in bondage to self. Been in bondage to a hundred other gods of this age. 
And we come over the hill from the land of bondage and we see what we think is going to be the promised land, but it's full of broken people and broken buildings. So teach us what the chronicler was teaching the people. God has the power to transform our lives. Oh, Lord, may we come to you. May we know the things that you are doing, how you are moving, how you are working. May we do your will, your way, and see your power poured out on this earth. Lord, we pray that you would use us and that we would submit and commit ourselves to you to be men and women of the book. And we give you praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.